Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done. Welcome back to The Conversation, everybody. It is your boy, your brother, Martin Trumbull, um, back at it again with another episode with my boy, Caleb Bulow. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. And Jason is missing out today. He had a family trip or whatever. So sad. I know. For us, not for him. He's having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's good, Caleb? What have you been up to this last week? Trying to figure out what I'm going to do for this weekend. It's uh, Memorial Day weekend, so we're supposed to have like a holiday and try to do some stuff with the family. And you know, we we're thinking about going camping, but forecast says rain. So, uh, so you're just chillaxing. Or what else? So far, yeah. Sweet. What have I been up to? What are you going to be up to? Got any big plans? Oh, for that's weekend? a good question. I don't think. See, we don't really do. Um, my family isn't really like. Uh, holiday oriented. Um, well, we don't. Really yeah, usually we go down to like Fargo for a Memorial Day conference. So now, oh yeah, that's true. Not having yeah. a Memorial Day conference, trying to figure out what to do for the weekend, and this yeah. is like the first time we've really done something like this. So we're we're not. Uh, How many years have you been going to that conference? Like uh, probably all my life. Dang. Because I think Hashtag my parents faithful. took us. Yeah. <laughs> that's true though I didn't think about that usually well the last several years I've been going down there too this weekend but the May conference replaced that obviously right mm. yeah but I reckon I'll get a few days to get some editing in got some videos I gotta crank out I'm trying to get into the video scene you know what I'm saying so a little that'll bit be that. fun yeah. be fun make some decent money have fun doing it I, I ran across these like so this video I made when I was 15 with my younger brothers, Adrian's been on the pod and then Michael. Um, and it was like this just, just random scene of us, like a little fight scene of them like shooting at each other with guns. Oh no. <laughs> and it's wow. A, it's kind of, <laughs> it's actually really good for like me being 15. I was like, dang, that's decent. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not great, but it's not like terrible. And so I sent it to my boy, uh, a couple of my guys. And I was like, yo, check this out. This is kind of crazy. And, um, and, and, uh, one of my friends was like, yo, this like legitimately looks better than some short films I've seen actual film students put together. No and, way. Yeah. So it made me feel really good about myself. Basically I'm yeah. better than everybody. <laughs> Whatever. Surprised you haven't posted it to YouTube yet so we can. I have. At your antics. It, oh, yeah. it is on YouTube. I just was hoping you wouldn't bring that up because now I got to, I mean, I don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Nah, now I have to. no. Yeah, private link. Private link for the rest of y'all. Just I'm not trying to get. I'll post a public yeah. link later. <laughs> 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 Do not follow Caleb Bulo on Instagram because he does not have it or any. 
Just <laughs> det. Right. Man. Oh, that's been good. So what you got on your mind today? Well, um, I was thinking about, uh, I'm, well, we were going to talk about like, why does God allow hypocrisy in Christians? Like in church, like, why does he let, like, why are there some people that run around with the name Christian representing him to, you know, unbelievers, um, unbelievers that think they're believers? Like, why does he allow those types of people to damage and ruin his reputation? Um, like, why does he let them lose? Why doesn't he just wipe them out or something? And, and I was thinking about acts where you have, uh, those two characters, what are they, Ananias and Sapphira or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, where they're like they're posing, right? They're like, they saw other people like contributing and they just saw all the clout that they were getting. Like, you know, the apostles are like, man, you like everybody else. Like there's some people who are like, um, selling stuff and donating the money to the cause of the the gospel and the churches. And, and those people who were doing that were getting really like praise. They're like, man, you're so generous. And so Ananias and Sapphira were like, that would be really not like, we want to be like, we're good people too. So they like sold their property, but I guess, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe they were broke, maybe not. The point is they like, um, gave a portion of the earnings from selling it to the church and then told everybody that was the full earnings that like they sold it and every, like everything they got for the property they gave to the church. But the reality was they kept some back and they did it. It sounds like it looks to me like they did it to look good. So I don't know. Mm, There's those types of, but in that situation, God, like, struck him down like who was it peter or paul or who was talking to him and was like does peter yeah yeah he's like why are you lying like man you, this is not cool dude don't lie to god like you're gonna die and that sure enough there's a whole thing both of them get wiped out so why don't we see that kind of um well first of all it, it, it depends on what perspective you're viewing that story if you're coming at it from like i'm like well god punished that back then why doesn't he do it now so there's that perspective but then i guess there's also the uh, another perspective is like ooh, i'm glad he doesn't do it now because then i would be wiped out um if i'm being honest with myself so yeah i guess down. there's two different pres- so that's what i was kind of uh, i think last week we i think i gave it away a little bit i was like because last week was the church um was it hypocrisy in church or was it, uh, let me look here in my notes. Um, why does God allow hypocrisy in Christians? And then. I, I can't believe I can't even remember. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I know it was a week ago. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is not good. But I can chalk it up to old age. I don't know what your excuse is. Um, being tired. Oh, that's right. All them hours of working. I don't think I said that on the pod last week, dude. Yeah. (laughs) I saw me and Caleb were talking after we recorded and I was complaining about how I was lazy and really, really tired. And he was like, wait, say that again, but slower. Wait. Actually, that makes sense if you say it again slower. I don't know. (laughs) What did I say? I was like, I've been working all these hours, only getting like five hours of sleep the last week. And also, I'm lazy. How do I not be lazy? <laughs> and he was like, wait a minute. Or something. I don't know. Where were we going with this? Uh, I'm, we're, we're kind of bantering while I look for the topic we did last week. Uh, I look for the topic. I can't find it. I must have deleted it. Yeah, because oh. my list was getting long. Anyway, I think, yeah, last week we were saying oh, that we would talk about that. So we could talk about that. 
Um, kind of sad Jason's not here because I wanted to hear his opinion or, you know, see, hear what he had to say on the subject. Um, two. Well, snoozy lose, I guess. Things, I guess, you know, thinking about that question about why God allows hypocrites to continue and doesn't put them, put a stop to them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the passages that comes to mind is in Matthew 13, where Jesus is talking to disciples and he, I think he's talking to disciples. Yeah. He's talking to disciples and he tells them this parable. Um, and I think we might've referred to this parable in the last podcast. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sold good seed and a good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares, or weeds, also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How come it has weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the weeds, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So I, th- I think the, uh, the parable is intended to be a metaphor of the church today, of the people of God, and he's saying that there's going to be a mixture of people gathered together, and at first it'll be difficult to tell the difference between the true people of God and the, the weeds, so to speak. And he said it's it's going to be left that way because if you go out and try to uproot some of the weeds, there's a good chance you'll uproot some wheat at the same time. Yeah. And that oh, being right. a metaphor, then I well go ahead. Um, no, continue on. I'm like, I, well, I guess that's clicking what you're saying. You're going to uproot wheat, wheat too. And I just I thought, well, wait, how does that work? And I imagine if you're going to be because because now you have to put on your hat of discernment or try to. And, right. and then you're gonna have to go and weed it all out, like. And since we're human, because is that what he's saying? He's like, the servants ask God, "Should we weed them out?" Right. So it's people who are asking, "Should we um, remove the 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 weeds?" And and like in, we're not perfect. We don't have clear eyes. And and what, oops, bumped my mic. And what could possibly happen is when you're, if we're being discerning, maybe the 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 struggle would be we'd become judgmental and then we'd throw out people who are genuine um, because we don't think they are. And then they're not living up to a standard, so to speak. Yeah. Like we'd set a standard that like for some reason somebody else might not reach and we don't understand the context and, and we just throw them out with it. And so, I don't know, that just resonated. That all clicked together. It's like, Oh yeah, that's why. Cause, cause you'd probably end up throwing out people who like, cause we don't know the heart, you know, like, People's actions yeah, are good at indicate, like indicate, like we can judge actions, um, but it's really we don't see the heart, and so yeah. And I think historically we've seen attempts of Christians to purge out the church, and that's led to things like the uh, the what are they? You know, remember them witches at Salem, where they went through and tried to find all the witches, and they used methods such as dunking them in the water if they came up with, and they hung them or, what, you know, whatever, all yeah. the different kinds of methods. Or you have the wars between the Catholics and the Protestants that they saw over in Europe, you know, different efforts. And, and you can, there's a lot of different examples you can look at of efforts people have made to purge out the weeds, and it, it really hasn't gone well. It's 
Yeah, hmm. there's just no way. And I, I'm not sure if in this parable, if he's, if the servants represent the angels, because sometimes, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, sometimes it represents angels. Sometimes it will represent uh, some of his people. And I, I thought about it like, uh, what if he's talking about angels as the servants then? And suppose the angels went out because they can probably better see who the hypocrites are and it'd be easier for them to accurately root out the weeds, so to speak. Yeah. But well, if, if they did see accurately, then they wouldn't remove wheat with, with, with them, would they? Because well, they see the, accurately or, or here's the issue they grow okay, together. Is it like, I guess wheat and weeds grow together. They, they're in the same soil. So if you rip up, weeds you're ripping up the soil that weed is also growing in and so exactly and that's where the metaphor lies yeah yep. yeah so and and which is okay so there's some very opinionated people in the church who are very um well i don't know there's people i'll just put it on myself the disclaimer this is my point of view which is not objective reality and i'm aware of that but it seems to me um that there are some people that are super maybe not super but judgmental in church and stuff and they're very opinionated and like um and uh and there's those types of people who are just like man why are you so like hard but then there's these people and i have this written down in my notes i'll read this so it'll come out clearer um then there are some people who man, i have it like written weird like some people be out here talking really nice um, but when they're behind closed doors, they're like totally wicked, mm-hmm. like they're bad and they know it too. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about talking really nice. Like they say things like, this is wrong. We should never do this. And they exhort people to live a righteous life, but behind closed doors. And I know some people where I like recently I heard about, um, and there's some friends of mine who through other people that, um, I trust, um, tell, mm-hmm. told me that this person who like, who speaks really well as a Christian knows right and wrong literally doing the things that they know better of doing, you know, like they know not to, right. and they're doing right. it anyway. And, and they're totally wicked. So they're, it's hypocrisy. Um, right. Oh, and I think too of like, here's my, my note says, and I think too of the religious guy at the temple who lifted his voice to God saying how amazing he was and how sucky the tax collector was. Um, and like, doesn't that hurt the name of the church and what it is? Like, cause isn't, isn't the church Jesus' body? Why does God let people misrepresent him and defile him and spit in his face with their words and actions? I was kind of heated when I wrote this. I was like, isn't that just a spit in the face? Like, you're going to talk really nice. And so, but I realized too, with the analogy of the wheat and the weeds, say this person who is a complete hypocrite is, um, is a weed, but the person, like, but they still have people that look up to him. And they have people who like, whose faith is actually legitimate and it was inspired by them. And so if they got plucked out, like it would be disorienting to say the least, probably for people who were at least inspired or whatever, um, influenced by that person, maybe. And there are some recent examples that we can point to as well of people who appeared really legitimate, Mm -hmm. but, uh, now we look at them and we see that they've turned away from God and they, they don't seem to want anything to do with God. Uh, what if God had been looking to uproot them back when they appeared legitimate? You know, like that guy that wrote that book, Joshua Harris. Yep. You know, or greatest book or ever written pastors. on dating. I'm kidding. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or, or different pastors or whatever, or there's uh, even some questions about, you know, great men like uh, Ravi Zacharias or that type of thing where they, yeah. things come out after they pass away and it's kind of like, whoa, what, but what would have happened if they would have been cut off uh, earlier on in their ministry and people would have, people would have been really disoriented to see God destroying them uh, when they seem so legitimate. So it's, it seems like God has decided that it's going to get sorted out at the end. He's not going to uh, root out the weeds in the process of growth. And I guess, you know, from a human perspective, that always gives the, the hypocrites the opportunity to repent. I mean, it seems like God is really patient and long-suffering and always giving people an opportunity to repent and not just cutting them off when they when they first wander astray. Hmm. Yeah. And so, but I think I'm thinking of this, I have a, an objection. If Go God, ahead. like, so we're talking about that. We've been talking about this in the sense of like people dealing with hypocrites mm. and, and, and we, well, we do, we've been like, just now we said God dealing with it, but if God is perfect and he's all wise wouldn't he, like, isn't there a way that he could, like, sort out the hypocrites without damaging um, the, you know, sincere believer's faith? You know what I'm saying? Like, couldn't he just, like, I don't know, take a pincher's or, like, a tweezer's and gently pluck out those wheats? You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe make them sick and have them die at a young age or something? Yeah, well, like, spray it or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> But, like, you know, as I think about that perspective, um, it really like when do you when do you um when do you take them out do you take them out just before their hypocrisy is exposed or do you take them out while they are in their hypocrisy while they look good mm. or do you take them out before they ever look good you know let's say like Joshua Harris for example let's say god takes him out before he Actually, not Joshua Harris. Let's go back to uh, Ravi Zacharias. Let's say God takes out Ravi uh, before he ever becomes a big name, before people ever start looking up to him. So if he gets taken out at that point, then there's not going to be any wheat uprooted, right? We catch up, we nip it in the bud. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have any of Ravi's ministry uh, for people to be edified by. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So it... It seems like God is capable of taking what a hypocrite does and using it for good, even bringing people to salvation. Um, and at the same time, giving them opportunity to repent. It, you know, it gets a little complicated when you start but like, figuring out. And I'm, I'm thinking about, so this, there's this other side of it too. And maybe I'm, I'm kind of wishing we would have talked about it before we jumped it right away to the, okay, we need to pluck them out. Maybe I want to talk about why, like, I don't think we've talked about the urgency, like why it's a big deal. And I think the point of view that I was writing that from is, well, right now you're talking about the Lord can still, can seems to be able to use, take the ministry of a hypocrite and still use it for good. Um, right. and to bring people to himself. Like he's, he's powerful enough to do that. And that's great and dandy. But like, from my point of view, I've seen some, uh, people who 
you know, are claiming to be believers, members of the church. And the reason I get like upset about it, first I get mad and then I get sad. Like there was a situation a while back where that, like I was just sad because, because it was damaging like Jesus's name and not like just the name Jesus, like his reputation, like it, it made, it made it look all fake. You know what I'm saying? So you're talking more about people who are just, you know, they're not the stellar Christians. They're just the average everyday, everyday person that claims to be a Christian, go to church and whatever else, but they put on a good Sunday face and then live like the world for the rest of the week. Well, is that most Christians? Cause that's embarrassing, but no, no. I mean like, <laughs> I don't do I mean, is that. I, I'm aware that I have like that. It, it's hard. I don't like to say it because it's I'm like, it's like, I know it's wrong, but it's the truth. I'm a hypocrite at times. Um, probably more often than not, like I'll say stuff and like, this is the way things ought to be. This is the way I ought to live. Or maybe I'll tell somebody else, this is how you ought to think about this or whatever. And I don't think that way. So I'm aware that I'm a hypocrite, but I'm not to the, like, I'm thinking about people who are not just thinking like they're actively living in like a immoral sin, like immorality, not just in the, in the level of like, this is the standard of righteousness or this is what would be healthy and good. And like, we just don't think that way. I'm talking about like actually living like sinfully and, and not the rest of the week, say for most of the week, they're actually a good Christian, but like, I don't know. Um, in secret, they are, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm confused myself. I don't know. In secret, they, they are, I don't know. (laughs) Just wicked. I don't know. And there's, and there's unbelievers and there's unbelievers in their life that see it, mm. you know, and it's hurt. And, and now that person wants nothing to do with Christ because they don't see any reality in it. They don't see his work because all they see is this person who says, Christ works, Christ works. He forgave me. He like, he's everything to me and he's changing me. Um, but they just see this person who's, who's saying all that, but yet they're working really, really hard to please a God that one, the the person watching doesn't even know exists. Right. And it just, and it just looks to them like this huge battle and it like, uh, for somebody striving for some moral standard that they don't even know is really there. Um, this person, and, and like, I don't know, the Christian doesn't look like they have any peace or perhaps the, the Christian looks all snug, you know what I mean? And comfortable and like, has no problem saying, okay, this is what's right. This is what's healthy. This is the way you ought to live your life. And they're really calm, collected, snug people, but then they don't live up to what they say at all. It's like very unattractive. It tastes bad. It looks bad. Like, I don't know. And so for that reason, there's people who are in like seeing that. And like, if that's Christianity, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's the situation I'm thinking of. Like, we're so like, people that, that try to live a perfect life, but they don't, you know, there's so much burden in trying to live the perfect life that they they don't seem to have that real joy, or at least it seems to be kind of fake, that joy that they're, of the, that the Christianity is supposed to offer. I mean, thing. it's, yeah, maybe that's what, I don't know, that, that seems to be coming from a more gracious point of view that I should probably have. But I just feel like, man, are they even trying? I don't know if they're trying. I'm, <laughs> that's my point of view. I don't know. But because, I don't know, and I guess I'm judging too, because I don't, you know, the situations I'm thinking of, I wouldn't do what they, you know, what they're doing, you know, like, yeah. and so um, why does God, like, why doesn't God like either purify their hearts to like some level 
or at least remove their hypocrisy. Cause like, I, cause I know like I've met, like you and I know Christians who are like super honest, like the Lord has really worked in their heart and they're just, and, and they're more loving. And if they're not perfect, they're at least honest and transparent about it. And they're not false advertising. You know, they're not narcissistically trying to make, you know, Jesus look good. Jesus just looks good because they like looks good through them. And, and they're not trying to make them look good. It's just the way they're living the life is like, that is supernatural. The Lord has produced that in them. Do, does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it sounds like you're talking about people who put on a facade of making everything look good when either behind closed doors or in their hearts, they, they don't uh, live up to the facade that they want. Other, you know, they don't, yeah, they're not as that's, good at Christians as what they want other people to think they are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're, yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't know if there's something wrong with my perception of, you know, people's circumstances or situations or what, but yeah, I don't know. Why would, maybe there's something wrong with that question that should be corrected before you answer the question. But my question is, why does God allow that if it's damaging to people who potentially could come to Christ if that wasn't an obstacle in the way, you know? I, people that I've known or come to know who have lived like that, it seems like they're acutely aware that their testimony matters and... You know, if somebody sees or knows of them living in sin, then that could turn them away from the gospel. And so they want to show that Christ delivers from sin. And that, you know, because it's the, there is a, the reality that it's by our lives that we uh, win people to Christ, how we live. And so it's not good for us to live like a party animal type of thing. Yeah. So if you really take that to heart and really try to apply that in a lot of different ways, then you find that you, you kind of have to stop doing things that you would normally be inclined to do. And, you know, almost like a zeal of trying to produce a perfect reputation so that you don't hinder people from coming to Christ is kind of what, does that make sense? Like, I think that's what I've seen people do who, yeah. are, who have that facade. Yeah, that's really well put and in less words than I need to use. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but you see, like, uh, what I'm trying to convey is, like, they're, the people who are doing this, their perspective is that they are trying to serve God by putting out a good reputation. But that's what they're not doing. Yeah, I see. But they're so not doing do it. <laughs> how do you put the hammer on them and say, you know, and I mean, because, and I know... I mean, I, I, I kind of resonate with, that, like, unfortunately, like, uh, it's just, it's been such a game changer for me or life changer, I guess, uh, to realize that, um, well, I don't know how to, just to realize how complete the Lord's salvation is that if as a Christian, I wander into sin or I don't live the way that I ought to. Um, God doesn't turn his back on me. He's not disgusted with me. Like he, he's taken care of my failures. And I, I think people who are trying to put the facade on, they haven't learned that yet. They're still feeling like, uh, a lot hinges on how well they behave. And if they don't behave well or they don't act well, 
then it's going to have a profound uh, negative impact on the, say, the kingdom of God or whatever. And I think once you realize the truth of resting in the Lord Jesus, it's hard to understand why people who know about Jesus dying for their sins don't seem to rest in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really super frustrating. Yeah, dude, I, I was talking to a bunch of people that, you know, are around my age this last week and I asked them, I'm trying to decide if, if any of them listen. Well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really know any of them. They were all kind of strangers to me. Um, there's a couple I knew of, but not really well. Um, so I, I asked them like if they had a, we talk, did I tell you about this yesterday? I don't know what you're about to say. Oh, <laughs> that's not, not ringing a bell quite yet. <laughs> my bad. I just, I'm thinking in my head and I assume people know what I'm about to, um, kind of an issue. Um, there, there was this group and I asked everyone if they had, if they were completely satisfied with their relationship, um, with, with God or their faith. Mm, did, did, yeah. did we talk about this last, yesterday? I don't think so. Oh, who did I talk about with this? I don't know. Um, and the answer was unanimously no. Like everyone was like, no. And, and I know that's a funny phrase, like satisfied. Okay. What do you mean? Like, cause that satisfied typically we think of feeling. So I don't feel, I don't always feel satisfied. And, and a couple of the people in the group said, you know, um, one person was like, I am ha like, I'm content if that makes sense. Like I'm content with my relationship and you know what? I've been like reading the word in this and, and I've just been growing in my understanding of the Lord's character and faithfulness, um, in our lives and the way he works and his wisdom. And I've just been growing in contentness, contentment into happiness that I didn't really know was there, but it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was refreshing. I was like, yeah, mm, because they were genuine. And then somebody else said, um, you know, I don't always feel satisfied. In fact, I rarely do. But I've come to realize in my life that that doesn't matter because my my relationship with the Lord, the quality of my relationship does not depend on how I feel. It depends on his faithfulness to me. And he promised me that, that he take took away my sins and he promises that he will always draw close to me. So I rest in that and mm. satisfaction comes out of that, but it doesn't always feel that way, but it doesn't matter right. to me that I don't feel that way because that's what's objectively true. And I was like, I really reson resonated with those two, but um, a couple other people said um, that they just were in this striving, like, I know Jesus died for my sins, but they didn't seem to grasp it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not putting them down um, in case... You know, well, even if they didn't listen, I'm not trying to put anyone down. I just, I just thought it was interesting that that was like, like how people have the knowledge of Jesus's forgiveness, but it doesn't mean it. They're not resting in it. Like you're saying. And I, I mean, I know what that's like. I mean, like that's, like I said, it wasn't, I remember when it finally began to click that I could really rest in what the Lord had done and and not be so uh, concerned about my failures and so forth. Like I could, like he, he took care of that and I can rest in him to do what's right. I, I mean, I know what it's like to be on both sides of that, the one to be striving so hard. Mm. I've, I have tried a lot of different methods and approaches to try to overcome the sin in my heart. And uh, 
the harder, uh, can't remember how I used to phrase it, but it seemed like the more successful or the, or the greater success that I thought I'd found, the greater fall was right around the corner. You know, I just, mm, I never could yeah. hit that plateau of a good Christian life and try so hard at it. And uh, it's quite something to realize the, uh, like what the Lord said, and I think I mentioned this a while back, but, oh, where is it? It's in John chapter 8. He tells the people that, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Um, I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but I think what he's saying here, when he talks about committing sin, you know, obviously you, you do something that's wrong. Then you become a slave to that sin. I always thought that he meant that it would become habitual. You wouldn't be able to stop sinning. But I don't think that's what he means. I think when he talks about being a slave to sin, it's the idea that once you sin or once you do something wrong or, or break something, whatever, you're, you've got the obligation and responsibility to fix it. So if you, mm. if you sin against somebody, uh, say you, let's say you wrecked their car while driving drunk or something, you are under obligation then to make the situation right, to fix their car or give them money or whatever it takes. Uh, and that's easy to understand in physical sense. But when you're talking about like an emotional or a spiritual sense where you sin and you really offend somebody or hurt them really bad through the words that you've said, to try to undo that hurt can be really difficult. Sometimes you can say you're sorry and things can, and the relationship can be patched up, but what you say is what you say. And it's, it's hard to completely fix that. And so you can, if you can't fix your sin and, and repair the damage, you live under the debt of that obligation, which often translates then into guilt, you know, you, because you can't fix the sin, you kind of end up carrying a bunch of guilt. Mm -hmm. So the slave is a sense that you are under the obligation to fix whatever you did wrong. Whoever commits sin is under that obligation to fix whatever they've done wrong. And if you can't fix it, then you're, you remain under obligation. You remain a slave under that sin. And then he talks about how a slave will not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And then that phrase at the end, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Hmm. If he delivers you from that obligation of sin, you really are free. It's taken, the sin has been, and you know how he takes care of the sin. It's not just that he uh, uh, negates the debt. It's like he actually takes care of the, of the actual sin, particularly, you know, the sin against God. There's, uh, to be of the, you know, I found myself as a type of personality where I'm not able to, you know, recently, I find that I'm not able to, treat other people with the love that I ought to. Like I find they irritate me or whatever. And, and I know I shouldn't um, be short tempered with them or whatever. And so you try not to be short tempered, but inside I'm feeling this level of irritation, definitely not feeling love like we ought to. Mm -hmm. That same, it, that can hypocrites. There can be a big sense of obligation and, uh, and guilt. Like why can't I do what I'm supposed to do? To know that 
that the Lord Jesus sets me free of that obligation. Yeah, I don't live the way I ought to, but continue, even though inside I feel this irritation. Instead of responding to the irritation, respond to the spirit who says, treat them with kindness. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know, like, he, what I find is that he makes me able to do what is righteous, to be righteous while I live in a flesh that is completely unrighteous. My being set free from that obligation of sin, I'm able to actually do what is right. Hmm. So how does... <sighs> There's got to be some good questions out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's... Well, I'm trying to reconcile that. So he's faithful to... So God is... Man, that's just crazy that he can do that with somebody like that. And I guess maybe I'm... I don't know. Maybe I don't have the right perspective because I'm... I don't know. I feel it. I'm, I'm low key judging the judge, the, the hypocrite. And I know, but I know I'm a hypocrite too. And, but I don't really feel like one in this case. So maybe there's an, an issue. There's an issue with me with that. Um, but the reason, why do I say that? Um, I say that because I'm just trying to reconcile this. So God is faithful to the hypocrites to work in them, like to hold them securely, like hypocrite or no, they're his. And so by their well, actions of being hypocrite, hypocritical, that does not. Let's back up he here a bit loves, because we were talking about people who, you know, they're, they're trying, they're not resting in what the Lord has done. They're, they're trying so hard to make sure that their life is perfect. Yeah. And they're not oh, resting I, in that. And I can identify with that. So when I learned that I could rest in the Lord, uh, even, you know, then he would produce righteousness in a person who lives in a body of flesh where, where there's sin, you know, like, even though oh, there's sin inside it. me, he makes me to do righteous. And I'm, re I mean, and the reason is because I'm, uh, is, uh, how do you say it? Like, he takes, he sets me free from that obligation that comes as a result of sin so what you're saying so you're so what i'm saying so is secure. i don't have to live in guilt yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't have to live so. in guilt that i'm not living up to what i know i ought to you know is and the reason people are hypocrites we're saying is because they're living in guilt like that's their mentality so the answer to that would be to rest in like they're not resting in him but you rest in him because because <laughs> he's trustworthy like um like you can what, I don't, what else? How much do? Was, yeah, I don't know how much of a sweeping statement you can make. You know about people. Yeah. Some people live in hypocrisy because they got ambitions for power or money or something like that. But for those people who are really trying to be faithful to God, and they've and they just fail, and they they fail, but they work really hard to uh, have the reputation that they're not failing. Oh yep. Yeah. Uh, like you know. <laughs> I mean, the reality is that we do fail. Yeah. And uh, it seems like no matter how close, yeah, I think my tendency is to think that the closer I get to the Lord, the less I'll fail. Mm. How can, but it yeah. seems like what I find happens is that the closer I grow to the Lord, 
the more I see how badly I fail and knowing his work there on a cross that takes care of my failures, takes care of my sin. He enables me, he produces righteousness in me. Righteousness through me. I don't know how you're, what the right way is to say it. Like you, you do what is right. How can I be more empathetic or like less? <laughs> That's a good question. That's <laughs> <laughs> not one that I really uh, feel like I've learned too well how to be empathetic in a moment. You know, like I can objectively step back and analyze it and, like, and oh, have yeah, an yeah, analytic yeah. type of empathy. But when it's in the situation, it's much more difficult. I don't think like... Like can you... Because I'm kind of... I'm that way too. Can you... Like why... I just feel like I just have this perspective of like I'm looking down like I'm I'm not really understanding what like the reasons for why people are the hypocrite and that makes me like upset. So why well, I guess you kind of described it. They're, you know, they're just not resting and maybe they're sincere and they're trying to, you know, they're they're striving for something and and that that isn't working because we see the fruit of that is hard. And so the answer is to rest in Christ. And to rest in Christ is like, well, it's hard not to rest in Christ when you when you see it clearly because what else are you going to do? There's nothing else you should do because um, he's, you know, done it all and he is doing it all. Um, I think but how do I grow in my understanding yeah. of of people, I guess? Or I feel like your question is headed towards a point of like, you know, when I'm interacting with these people, how do I, what am I supposed to do if I feel, you know, I look, as I interact with them, I see their facade and it just mm -hmm. uh angers or in my in my sense in my case i'd say irritates or annoys yeah, me frustrates <laughs> yeah and and then Boy, i you'd... and i justified i'm like well they're a bad like i did in the beginning like i described it like it just seems to me that these people are actually hurting you know giving people a bit like if that's what jesus is i don't want to be it you know what i mean i don't want people to walk away with that mentality so i'll justify it too how do i not i don't know yeah, how do and I so you're handle those in a situation like when you interact with them and that irritation or annoyance or anger or whatever is rising up inside you or it's not rising up, it's already there. Yeah. Like, what do you do? And the answer is you do what is right. Like you, you feel like uh, demeaning them some way, you know, talking down on them or whatever or dismissing them. And, but you've got to do... You got to do what is what you know is right. You speak with kindness and patience, or whatever you know, like you know what I mean. Like it's the reality of the situation. They've earned my uh, judgment. Let's say mm -hmm. that's. I mean, the reality of who they are and the reality of the way it is. I mean, like you guys think you're so good, you're not. You know, and you, somebody should take you down a peg or whatever. You know, like that's that's fair, that's just, but. What the Lord has called us to do is to speak with kindness and, you know, interact with them with the same kind of love and patience that he has. I mean, it's kind of weird because it's, it seems like hypocrisy because I'm acting in a way towards them that doesn't reflect the way I actually feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do I get my feelings behind that? Or do I? There isn't a, at least no one, two, three, four step, and here's my feelings back behind what I, you know, the way they ought to be, at least not that I found. 
I don't know. My it's mom, like my mom tells me like to you, empathize. <laughs> and, well, yeah. and, you know, and she she has a way of explaining things in a way that, I don't know, usually I walk away with a more, I don't know, understanding view sometimes. But I guess that I'm not talking about those situations, like when I can't walk away with that type of view. I don't know. When I have the inability. An, an yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say? No, mm, I don't remember what I was going to say. I think it was no plan or no. I was just kind of thinking about it, you know, as I think about the different situations that I find myself in and the different people that I interact with. And it's, I find it difficult to interact in a right way with them. You know, like before the Lord, my interaction, you know, like I keep trying to learn how to interact with them in a right way and keep confessing before the Lord. And I think that's part of one, that's one of the things that makes it so difficult because I want to just change and be done with it. I don't want to keep on failing. I don't want to keep on faltering. Yeah. And yet, you know, I can be praying about it one moment and, and uh, feel like I've, I can see it clearly from the Lord's perspective. I see how I ought to empathize with them. And then I find, and, and so then I, and you know, it's all settled in my heart. This is the way I'm going to be. And then I come in contact with that person and it, all of that goes out the window. You know, the irritation is right back and mm -hmm. perspective is lost. Uh, and, and yet, you know, through it, even though I feel irritated and so forth, you know, you're, you're trying to treat them in the right way, but frustrated because of the, I'm not really doing as fully as I ought to because of the irritation that's there in my heart. And I, that's kind of where this verse comes in, where he says, if the sun makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That continual repeated failure. And it's not that I, you know, act in a way that's super inappropriate. I just, I'm not being truly loving towards them, right? I'm failing yeah. that way. And so it's not like there's things where I need to go back and apologize. You know, I've offended or I've really, you know, if I've really done something wrong towards them out of spite or whatever, then yeah, that needs to be dealt with. But it's more that I'm looking at the attitude of my heart and realizing that, yeah, I'm showing them a little bit of love, but it's not as full as what it should be or could be if I had the right attitude in the moment. That continual failing he says, if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Even if there is that continual shortcoming in how I treat other people. Hmm. And so even though I fail in the midst of my failure, I'm holding on to the truth that he speaks there in that verse that he sets me free, then I truly am free. And there's no... Uh, there's no need or requirement for me to keep guilt upon myself or to live under guilt. He's made me free of that debt of obligation that's caused by my own sin. Hmm. And somehow in that, it, you know, it brings a peace inside, which makes it more likely that I'll, I'll act in a way that's appropriate. That's true. That's funny how that works. <laughs> okay. Can I, I want to go back to 
Okay, so what about all the people that are affected by the hypocrisy? What is, does the Lord not like, care enough for them to, or I don't know, what? Like, I don't, well, let's, you know? let, yeah, I do, because I think that's the same question as to why did God allow sin in the garden in the first place, you know, of all the people that have been. That's actually on, on a, that's one, that's in my notes. Somebody asked me that, to do an episode on that. Go ahead. Well, here's a preview then. Yeah. Um, why has God allowed sin that has caused so much damage yeah. in the world and so forth? And, and I think, as I've thought about it, you know, because you think about the sin of eating, you know, that Adam and Eve committed where they ate the tree where they were not supposed to. Later on, God commands them or at least makes clear that they ought not to eat the tree of life. He's not going to, because he doesn't want them to live forever. And so he puts an angel in front of that tree and physically prevents them from even getting close to the tree. Well, how come he didn't put the angel in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And I think the answer is that he's able to deal with the problem of sin and the damage that it causes. That's not beyond his capability to take care of. But if a, if a, a sinner were to eat of the tree of life and, and humanity was to change so that there was no more death, well, that erases the possibility of salvation through the death of the Lord Jesus. You know, death is the curse of sin, but it's also our, the means of our salvation. So it's, he can't allow that. He can't allow death to be removed. So, you know, as I look at that, I realize, you know, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, evidently he is capable of handling the sin problem and capable of handling the damage of sin. And I think that's same answer then applies to hypocrisy about the people that are damaged by hypocrisy. If they turn to him, he's fully mm. capable of restoring all the damage that has been caused by sin. And, mm. and I see that in my own life. Like I... I was in a situation, details escape me at the moment, but it's okay. <laughs> um, in a situation where I felt like I had been defrauded and that it was going to impact the rest of my life. Like I'm just, I'm going to have to live with this uh, damage forever or for at least the rest of my life. And bringing that before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is a situation that, you know, literally you brought about. This was... At least, you know, it's, you direct our steps and you brought me into this situation and now I have this damage as a result. And just laying that, you know, I wasn't accusing him, just kind of stating the facts. Yeah. And just kind of laying that out before him, saying this is, this is where I find myself at. And it hurts inside. Like there's a lot of pain as a result of this. And then somehow it seemed like, like the pain kind of went away, like comfort came. And uh, the situation didn't change, but the pain of it, like his comfort was able to deal with the pain of it. And I think that's what God offers, that he's able to deal with the damage of sin. Uh, I think there's a prophet in Joel that talks about how he's able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. 
Um, and he's able to give us real comfort in the time of the pain when we turn to him. I think the my problem is usually when I turn to the Lord and tell him, it's like, Lord, you put me in a situation, I got all this pain, I don't know how to deal with it, and why don't you fix my pain and that type of thing. You know, it's it's kind of accusatory and it's kind of a entitled type of attitude. Like I'm entitled to have a better life. Uh, I don't usually find comfort coming from that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I just, you know, when I laid the situation out in front of him and said, this is, there's a lot of pain inside here and it's because of the situation that you brought me into. He brought comfort then at that time. It was, well, I was, I remember, being shocked, I was like, "What? That's weird." How, the how do you, just I feel disappear. like the people, like how do you how do you not like the way you say that? You say you're not being you're not accusing him. That's just kind of what happened. How do you? I don't know. That's can that might be confusing for some people. I think I understand, but what do you? It's not like why else would you include that? Like why would you include that the and you brought me into it part? You know what I'm saying? And I think I've learned. uh that it's okay to do something like that by looking at Old Testament examples. And I think one of the biggest examples is, uh, or the first ones that I learned from was this, the story of uh, Naomi and Ruth and back in the Old Testament. So Naomi went to the land of Moab, right? And uh, while there in Moab, her two sons married these Moabite daughters. And then shortly after they got married, her husband and her two sons died. So she was widowed and then left childless, except for she had these two son or two daughter-in-laws. And uh, she decided to return back uh, out of Moab, go back to the land of her people. And when she got back, the people said, hey, is this Naomi? They hadn't seen her for years. And she said, do not call me Naomi, because Naomi means pleasant, but call me Mara. Mara means bitter because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? It sounds like, I mean, you could read into those words that she was speaking with great bitterness towards God. Yeah. But evidently there isn't bitterness there, because the Lord restored her. He, uh, brought Boaz into their family and then produced a son for Naomi. Like he took away and then he restored. So it seems like she couldn't have been speaking against God when she said that, but was speaking of what God had done. It was true. She went out full. She came back empty. And the the fact that her husband and her two sons died was beyond coincidence. She attributed it to the hand of the Lord, said he was, he didn't stop it. Uh, whatever, you know, he brought me back empty. And as much pain as there was in there, evidently she still feared God because Ruth was converted to the living God through that. You know, so what I'm, I guess what I'm driving as I looked at her example, it seemed like she was not speaking in bitterness, but she was just speaking the reality of what had taken place. And, and God honored that to the point where he put it in scripture so that the rest of us could read it and and learn from what she did. It's okay to point out the um, the damage that, I don't know if damage is the right word, but the pain that has come as a result of, of what God has done. I mean, he's he was okay with her saying that. Yeah, that's valid. 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, is there anything else you want to say or feel like any other direction we should go? <laughs> I feel like I feel drained almost. I just... <laughs> Loki. Because it's... Is it relates so much to my own personal life and my own struggles and stuff. Yeah. Mm. It's when you see yourself continually fail, at least for me, when I see myself continually fail, it's so discouraging. But to read the words of Lord Jesus where he says, if, if I make you free from that obligation of your failures from that, then you truly are free from that. You are, you are good to go, so to speak, and not, well, really, it's good to be in the grace of God type of thing. You're, yeah. That those words that he spoke there have been proven to be such a a uh, source of stability and comfort. Again, that's in John chapter eight and actually thirty verse thirty four. Okay, thirty four, thirty five, thirty six. Yep. Um, that that's the comfort that I would want to leave people with that reality of the the words of the Lord Jesus and the fullness of his salvation that he provides. Yeah, and I, I didn't I guess that's a that's a pretty good thing to leave people with, probably, you know. <laughs> well all right. Well I think we're gonna end it there. Um great conversation. Good question. And very intriguing. Um very real. Very real, yeah. Massive implications for life, but yeah, it all it always almost always comes back down to resting in the Lord Jesus. But that can even become cliche to say. And I think it's situations like this that help us uh that rejuvenate the reality of what that resting mm. really looks like and the implications of that even in the depths of me being a sinner still. And even like a really bad one. <laughs> You know, yeah. damaging for sure. Even, not just myself, but to others. And yet he loves me. So good stuff. Good ponders. Um, great conversation. Well, I think this is it, man. We should say bye to the people and then, yeah. And then we'll see them next week, right? Until next time. Yeah. All right, guys. Take care, all that, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>